Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Portico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. After over a year of negotiations, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer finally reached a deal on a reconciliation package on Wednesday. The bill, known as the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, includes over $700 billion in tax, healthcare, and climate initiatives. Around $370 billion would specifically go toward climate and clean energy measures, meaning that if this bill is approved, it would be the largest federal investment in clean energy made in the United States ever. After the news broke, Manchin described the package as beneficial for all sorts of carbon-free technologies. That it's an all-in energy policy, all of the above, using everything we have to the best of our advantage today. If we don't do that, God help us. Now, before this legislation can become a law, Democrats still face a lot of other hurdles and a time crunch. They plan on voting on the entire package next week, ahead of an annual month-long break in August. So today, I chat with Politico's Kelsey Tamburino. We've both been closely tracking this legislation, and we talk about the energy and climate initiatives in the package, why Manchin finally said yes, and if Democrats can get this passed before the August recess. It's Friday, July 29th. So, Kelsey, we finally got a deal between Senator Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer. Definitely a big surprise on the timing, and it includes the biggest climate spending package in U.S. history if it passes. So can you break down for us the major climate and clean energy measures that ended up making it in this? Yeah. So as you noted, this would be the biggest investment in climate and clean energy. This package includes the long-term incentives for clean energy that we had seen in the previous package of tax credits, but it also includes some stuff that we were not sure were going to be included. In. So there is a tax credit for EVs and for used electric vehicles. And we also saw these incentives for domestic manufacturing, which was a big issue for the solar industry that they had been calling for. So there's a lot of clean energy provisions in this. There are some things that fell out in terms of like a transmission tax credit, but largely the tax package that we had been talking about is included in this package. But there's also a lot of stuff that we hadn't been talking about for months now that is included in this. That includes a sort of methane fee. That is something that we had been tracking. There is provisions in here for oil and gas leasing. That is something that people are really seeing as the give and take with Manchin here in order to move forward on this. There are also a lot of provisions to open up leasing in the Gulf of Mexico, in Alaska, and just build out this above all energy strategy that Manchin always talks about. But there's also money in here for the Defense Production Act, you know, Green Bank, which is something that advocates had been calling for last year quite a bit. So there is a lot in this bill, and it's bigger than just the $300 billion tax credits that we had been talking about just two weeks ago. And we've been tracking this legislation for the last year. And the things that you mentioned, these policies that have been attractive to Manchin, always have been. Yet, you know, he hasn't said yes until now. And we've seen these negotiations start and fall apart. So what have you heard about kind of what convinced Manchin to get to yes? 
Yeah. So I will point out that Manchin was pretty adamant that this isn't a reversal for him, that he was always talking to folks and always was eager to get to yes. And my main concern was inflation. I've never reversed. I've never been in reverse in my lifetime. We have done reporting, as you noted, with our colleague Zach Coleman on this. And, and it seems that there had been folks from the labor side, from within West Virginia that were in his ear on this and trying to make the point that this would not raise inflation. Also, we've heard that the former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers was someone who spoke to him in recent days. A host of folks who on the ground were giving him analysis and showing him that this wouldn't raise inflation. Um, but also on the Hill, as you mentioned, there was a few moderate senators who had been for the last two weeks saying that they were still talking to Manchin, still trying to get him to yes. It wasn't guaranteed that that was going to happen, but they had been from the beginning, making the point that Manchin hadn't said no to any of this directly and that they thought that there would be room for a middle ground. Their staffs have been working behind the scenes pretty much nonstop for the last week and a half, we heard, to get to an agreement. And obviously, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has played a big role in this as well. Folks point to him as really being the negotiator here. But yeah, I think there was a lot of people making the point to Manchin in the last two weeks that this is an important measure for the state of West Virginia and that his concerns, inflation, there's a way to structure this, that this wouldn't be inflationary. Yeah, for sure. Right. Among the group that you mentioned on the Senate side, you spoke with Senator John Hickenlooper of Colorado. He's been very upfront about his involvement. Senator Tina Smith of Minnesota, you know, more on the staff level, but someone who was able to kind of relate how a lot of these policies like carbon capture, hydrogen, advanced nuclear have opportunities in West Virginia in particular as that state transitions off fossil fuel. There were also some big concessions that Manchin secured on fossil fuel leasing and permitting issues, which is kind of this side deal that a lot of people are talking about that wouldn't be a part of reconciliation. So what are some of the big ones that are there as far as big wins that Manchin got on fossil fuels? Yeah, there are some provisions in there for leasing on the Gulf of Mexico, in Alaska. I think an interesting one in terms of in the package for renewables. It ties renewable leasing offshore and onshore, so offshore wind as well, on federal lands to leasing in the oil and gas sector, which is something that some folks say might not have the biggest detriment to deployment, but I definitely, in tying these things together, definitely secures the future of fossil fuel leasing is definitely something that I think climate advocates are not happy to see there, but in total, obviously, they still support the overall package. But there are some provisions in there, like I said, that ensure this all of the above strategy and ensures that there is a future for fossil fuels. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that on your end. I know you've been doing some reporting on this issue as well. Yeah, what's been surprising to me, maybe not so surprising, we know Democrats are really hungry for a win. So by and large, we're hearing Democrats say that this legislation is super important, the biggest climate bill ever, and it's worth passing just on the investment side alone and what it would mean for clean energy deployment. But yeah, we aren't hearing a ton of backlash from even progressives on the fossil fuel provisions and also on this side agreement where Manchin said that Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden have agreed to pursue avenues to address his concerns around citing energy projects and permitting them and how that's very notoriously slow in the U.S. And, and that gets it. Our NEPA law, potentially other things. We don't have a ton of specificity on what any agreement is. And again, it would that would have to occur outside of reconciliation because it doesn't involve spending or, or revenues. Um, so it would have to be bipartisan. But yeah, most progressives I've spoken with have said that the investments are way more powerful 
the market's moving away from fossil fuels. Nothing's going to really change that. And the permitting issue, we'll get to that. But by and large, yeah, Democrats are on board with this entire package. So let's get into just wrapping this up and into the timing question here, because there's just a week left before the scheduled recess here on the Senate side. They're going to vote on this first, of course. Is the Senate really trying to pass this next week? And is that possible? They still have to deal with the parliamentarian. What are you hearing on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a little less clear to me. I think Manchin on Thursday signaled that he thinks that it can be done in the next week. It remains to be seen. Obviously, the parliamentarian, we have to wait to see what comes out of that process. But it is worth noting, at least on the tax credit side, there had been some work on those already done last year when this was all playing out. So there's some elements of this that probably have been looked at by the parliamentarian already. But we don't know exactly how long that process is going to take. And then, of course, the House is also out for recess. But I do think like in terms of how D.C. works, we could see it all come together pretty quickly if it means people can get home and on the August recess if they can. But, you know, it remains to be seen of how fast this is going to play out. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morning energy. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Normal Malaykel is the podcast producer. Raghu Manuvalan edited the show this week. Jenny Amens is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. Did you know that Chevron is exploring ways to expand their hydrogen fuel production to help make heavy-duty transport lower carbon? Find out more at chevron.co slash hydrogen fuel.